The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. So uh, we are in the last week of a tiny series uh, we're calling Tiny Books. And, and in this series, we're looking at these, these often neglected books of the Bible, these tiny ones, and, and uh, really just unpacking them. And so if you were here last week and you're here this week, way to go. You've officially read 133rd of the Bible. So you should be proud of yourself. Um, But we looked at Philemon last week and that that powerful message of of reconciliation that we see there. And this week we're going to look at the book of Jude. And uh, Jude is an interesting book for for a number of reasons. Uh, There's a a scholar by the name of of Richard Baucom who who talks about Jude. And he says, it's the most neglected book in the New Testament. Like, I don't know how many of you are big fans of Jude. You read it a bunch, if you're familiar with it. If you even knew it existed, right? Other than the Beatles song, right? But but it's there. And, uh, And... Balcom suggests that the reason Jude is so neglected is because it's so negative. Like, do you guys pick up on that? Like, reading it, it's like really harsh. It's sort of abrasive. He sort of just like comes at you with some really strong language. And as people, uh, Balcom's theory is, you know, as people, we don't like to dwell on the negative. And so no one reads the book of Jude. Well, we're going to dwell on the negative today, and, and we're going to dig through the, the book of Jude because there's good reason for Jude to appear negative. There's good reason for him to come off so abrasive and, and so hostile, and we're going to dig into that. Uh, see, the, the early church fathers and, and most scholars even nowadays believe that the author of this letter uh, was a man named Jude, and he was actually the half-brother of Jesus, um, that, you know, Jesus' father technically is, you know, the Holy Spirit and Mother Mary, so... Joseph and Mary made Jude. And, uh, and so, as you might imagine, that relationship to Jesus uh, led Jude to have a very prominent leadership role in the early church as he was taken off. And so he worked full-time as, as a missionary and as a pastor and as a church planter. And, and everything he did was just dedicated to getting the gospel to go out, to getting the gospel to spread far, to reach all nations, to reach all people. That's what he gave his whole life to. And so part of his work was then to encourage new, new churches. And the way he'd do that is, is he'd write letters. That's why we have letters from Paul. And that's why we have this letter from Judas. He's, he's going to write a letter to encourage a church. But what we see in verse 3 is that as he goes to write the letter, he knows it, someone tells him or something. And he, and he realizes, you know what? I can't just write a letter of encouragement. Because what's happened is, is some false teachers have infiltrated this church. And they're turning people away from the truth. And and I can't let that sit idly by. Listen to the words of verse 3. It says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And so he tells the church, he says, Hey, listen, in this letter, I really just wanted to high-five you. Okay, but, but I found out that there's, there's, there's people in your church that are leading you astray, that are false teachers, and we can't have that. We can't have that. And so Jude writes passionately to protect this church. He's writing passionately to protect these people from falling in line with these false teachers. And so that's why it's so harsh, because he's protecting his people. And that's, that's something we get, right? Here's what I mean. Today is Father's Day, right? And, uh, and I'm a father, and I'm a father whose family is 1,300 miles away in northern Wisconsin this weekend. Uh, but don't pity me. Don't pity me because I get the gift that keeps on giving. Get to watch five hours of uninterrupted international soccer this afternoon. So while I love my family and miss them, this is a good, good gift to have. Um, uh, but seriously, as a, as a father for the last year and a half, I feel like I can relate to the book of Jude a lot more. Um, 
here's an example. So we were hanging out with some friends of ours who, who aren't part of this church, and they have three little kids, and they have a, a little daughter who's two. And so she and Titus, my son who's 18 months old, were, were hanging out, and they're playing, you know, whatever toddlers do. And she just kind of out of nowhere goes up to him and just shoves him really hard, right? And, uh, and he, of course, cries and is upset. And, and this is just something that happens when little kids, you know, they learn to socialize. It's just sort of the nature of the beast. But, but in that moment, like, like when I saw Titus get pushed, you know, it was like Papa Bear came out. You know, I was like, who would do that to my kid? Oh, it's a little girl. Okay, you know, but like I just... It was like this, this rage built up inside me where I wanted to protect my son. Like, that was the first time I think anyone had ever intentionally harmed him. And so he was just, like, massively confused about it. It was like, what has happened to me? Like, you know, like, who would do this? And, and, and so when I saw that, I just wanted to do anything I could to help him. I wanted to do anything I could to protect that from happening again, right? And fathers, you get that, right? That, that protective instinct of your kids, moms. Goodness knows, we know you get that, right? To, to protect your kids. And it's that sort of passion that Jude is writing to this church. It's with that sort of passion that Jude's trying to protect these people from these false teachers that would lead them away from the truth, that would lead them away from the gospel. Look with me at verse four. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality, and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So Jude says here, listen, there's these false teachers and they've snuck in and they pervert the grace of God into sensuality and they deny Jesus. Now notice, man, with that language, like Jude is throwing the gauntlet down, right? He's picking a fight here. He says, these are ungodly people. They pervert the grace of God. They deny Jesus. They're, they're designated for condemnation. Like he's using harsh harsh language here, and that may offend our contemporary sensibilities. But I want to point something out that Jude gets that we maybe don't sometimes. And this is why he's so passionate. Is false teaching hurts people. False teaching hurts people. It does. It does. Uh, Here's what I mean. In America in the last, I don't know, like 25, 30 years, this new theology sort of rose up uh, called the prosperity gospel. Right? It's this idea where you know, if, if you give to this ministry and if you believe in God, well, then you're going to be happy and healthy and he's just going to take care of you and provide for you and you're going to become super rich because you gave this money to my ministry. And, and here in America, that's just bad theology and it's sloppy and, and whatever. The tragedy, really, more than anything, is that's been exported to the developing world. And so what you have in some of the poorest countries of the world are these megachurches where these pastors get up front and say, hey, I know you can't feed your kids. I know you can't afford to pay for your kids to go to school, but give me money for my church, for my house, and God's going to take care of you. God's going to bless you, and you're going to become rich and wealthy. Friends, that's, that's bad theology. That's bad teaching. That's not how it works. And so kids don't get fed because of bad theology. And you say, well, okay, Gabe, that's a pretty extreme example. But the reality is, that's what, that's what false teaching does. It puts unnecessary burdens on people. It asks people to do things that God doesn't ask them to do. Or it's too permissive and it just allows sin to destroy people's lives. No matter how you look at it, false teaching harms people. And so we see Jude just rail against those who would lead people astray. Just rails against those who lead people astray. And he does that by pointing out three ways that these false teachers are messing up the faith. 
Okay, three ways they mess up the faith. First one is they fail to see the weight of grace. Second, they fail to recognize the authority of scripture. And third, they fail to place their identity in Christ. Fail to see the weight of grace, fail to recognize the authority of scripture, fail to place their identity in Christ. And these are three things that I think we might be prone to falling into. These are three things that I think we might be prone to falling into. And so we're gonna walk through these one at a time and just see what the implications are for us. So look with me. First one, failing to see the weight of grace. Verses five through seven. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay with their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual morality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And so Jude compares these false teachers to three different stories in the Old Testament. And they're not just any stories in the Old Testament. They're three stories in the Old Testament where people fail to see the weight of God's grace. There's stories in the Old Testament where people miss the weight of the grace of God. And so first of all, he says, remember when, when Jesus delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt? And those Bible scholars out there say, hold on, I've read that story before, and Jesus' name isn't mentioned there at all. And that's true. Uh, but what Jude is, is doing is he's reminding us of a truth that's helpful to remember, that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same God, right? That Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And so when God saves his people from slavery in Egypt, that Jesus was there. He was part of that act of saving. But Jude goes on, he says, but those that rejected that deliverance from slavery, those that believed they didn't need it, that they were better off without it, those that thought they had earned it, they were destroyed. They were destroyed. And this is true, right? If you read the story of the Exodus, you read the story of the Israelites, they they get delivered from slavery. They're saved by the grace of God, not because of anything they did, but because he chose them. They're saved by the grace of God. And what's the first thing they do once they're out in the desert? They build an idol. They build a golden calf and they worship it. And they grumble constantly. And they ignore God's commands. And so you can read that story. A bunch of them die. And in fact, a whole generation of them dies before they're even allowed to enter the promised land. And then Jude references the fallen angels. He says, there are these these creatures that God gave authority and power and they sat at his throne and they were next to him and they rejected that. And they rebelled against him. They had the grace of God just given to them and they rejected it. And then finally he references everyone's favorite, Sodom and Gomorrah. And he says, here's a city where if there had been 10 people, just 10 righteous people that hadn't turned away from God, he wouldn't have destroyed it. But the entire city turned their backs on God, missed out on the grace of God. And so he lays out these three examples of God's grace rejected in the Old Testament. And he says, this is what these false teachers are trying to do. They want you to miss out on the grace of God. They want you to miss out on the grace of God. Don't do it. Don't miss out on the grace of God. Don't fail to see the weight of grace. You say, okay, what does that look like for us? Like, Like, how do we fail to see the weight of grace? We do that when we refuse to allow it to transform us. Here's what I mean. Uh, Let's say you were on a trip and you had a friend house sit for you. And uh, this friend that house sit for you saw that you had a a bill. And your friend decided to pay the bill for you. And then you came back home and you saw, oh, hey, this this bill's been paid uh, by my friend. Now, how do you respond to that? 
if your friend pays a bill for you? Well, it depends what bill it was, right? Like, like if it was just like your tolls, you know, paying the, the Texas tag, and they paid like 10 bucks for you, you know, you probably call them up and say, hey, thanks, I'll take you out to lunch. Call it good, right? But if it was like your entire mortgage, oh, that's going to require a bigger act of generosity, right? I mean, you're bringing out the flowers, and you're just saying thanks forever, because that's a huge gift that you could never really repay. See, friends, if, if you don't see that apart from God's grace in Jesus Christ, you are living in open rebellion against your creator. That you're an enemy of him apart from his grace to you in Jesus Christ. If you don't see that on the cross, Jesus goes to hell so you don't have to. If you don't see that on the cross, Jesus dies the death that you deserve for you. He stands in your place. If you don't see that that was costly, that that was necessary, then the grace of God won't transform you. If you believe the lie that that you're a pretty good person, that you do some good things, and that's the reason God chose you, that's the reason God loves you, if you believe that, you won't see the weight of grace, and you won't be transformed by it. And see, I think for so many Christians, uh, we, we grow accustomed to this idea of God's grace, like, we, we kind of fail to realize how lost we would be without it. We fail to realize how in utter darkness and, and lost we would be without it. Uh, I think about it like this. I dropped Melissa and Titus off at, at the Dallas airport uh, this Friday because, dude, we saved like 200 bucks by flying out of there. I mean, you got to go to Dallas, so what's that worth to you? But, um, but, but, but we saved big money. And, and so dropped them off. I got back home at 5.45 Friday evening. And, uh, and I laid down on the couch, and I was going to catch the second half of, of Chile versus Australia, uh, which I did. And then afterwards, my plan was to, to clean the house up and, and start doing some packing, because we're actually uh, moving at the end of the month. Uh, staying in Leander, all right, but just moving to a different house. And, um, and so that, that was my plan, okay? Get up off the couch, clean, pack. That was my plan. What ended up happening was I ordered a pizza from the couch, uh, and <laughs> had to get up to get it, and... Uh, <laughs> And, and I ended up staying on the couch and watched like five episodes of Game of Thrones and went to bed at midnight. And I woke up Saturday morning and I was like, I was like, what the heck happened last night? I was like, I haven't been that lazy since I was in college. Like, I, what is going on? Right? And then it hit me, right? Like, Melissa's gone. And, and so I slid back into some old habits, right? See, see when she's here, it's not like she, she nags me to do things. She doesn't do that. It's just her presence inspires me to be a dude that actually does stuff. <laughs> Her presence inspires me to be a good man, to be a better man. And so, Christian, I wonder, has your faith gotten lazy? Have some of those, those old habits snuck in? And if that's the case, let me ask you, has the weight of the grace of God ceased to amaze you? Has the weight of the grace of God ceased to impact you? Have you forgotten that God claimed you as his own, not because you're so great, not because you do good things, but because of his absolute, undeserved mercy and love for you in Jesus Christ? That he smiles on you now purely because of what Jesus did for you. Does that weight still hit you? Don't fail to see the weight of grace. Secondly, don't fail to recognize the authority of Scripture. Look with me at verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, 
defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. And so Jude points out that these, these false teachers rely on their dreams and reject authority. And most likely the authority that he's referencing them rejecting is the authority of the apostles, the 12 people that, that Jesus called and sent out as, as leaders in the early church. You say, okay, so these guys reject the authority of the apostles. Uh, what does that have to do with failing to recognize the authority of scripture? Everything. Uh, see, we, we don't believe the Bible is the word of God just because like, we thought that was a good idea or we found it one day and thought, oh, it was really nice. Let's, let's go with this, right? We, we believe it's the word of God because Jesus says it is. That, that the person who is here, the, the man who walked first century Palestine street said, everything in the Old Testament, it points to me. And so you can trust those words. And then this same Jesus had his 12 apostles and he said, when I ascend up into heaven, my, my spirit's gonna come down and he's gonna speak through you and it's gonna testify about me. And so that's why everything in the New Testament is either written by an apostle or under the authority of an apostle. And it testifies about Jesus. And so for these false teachers to reject the authority of the apostles, of their words to them, it's like the same thing as us rejecting the Bible as God's word to us. And then he says, these guys do this, this is how they do it. They do it by relying on their dreams. In other words, instead of trusting in the authority of God's word given to his apostles, they use their dreams to justify their actions. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a friend like this or if, if you do this where you say, well, I wasn't sure what to do, but then God told me to do this. Or God gave me a vision for this. I wasn't, wasn't sure what I could do, but, but God is telling me to do X, Y, or Z. And I tell you, friends, be very, very cautious with that. I'm not saying that God doesn't speak to us through our dreams. I'm not saying he doesn't speak to us through other means. I think he can and I think he still does. But I am saying whatever he says will always be in accord with his word. It will always line up with scripture. And if it doesn't, then it's not from him. It's from somewhere else. Um, for example, I've mentioned this here before. Uh, but the, the night before we launched our first uh, preview gathering for this church, I had a dream that I, I woke up and it was Sunday morning and I went out to my front yard and there was a big sign in front of my house that said, don't go to Axe Church Leander, failed church plant. And, and the sign was like sponsored by all these local businesses and like, like HEB had a big section and oh, okay. <laughs> now, had I taken that dream as some sort of sign that, that God didn't want us to plant this church, we wouldn't be here today, right? But instead I see, oh man, in scripture, again and again, God wants his mission going forward. Again and again, the church plants churches. The church advances the gospel. So of course, this is what we do, and that was just some bad pizza I ate, right? Scripture trumps our superstition every single time. Now that's one way to reject the authority of, of scripture. The other way, as Jude says, is to blaspheme. To blaspheme, and what does it mean to blaspheme? means to put yourself in God's seat. means to make yourself God. To blaspheme is to make yourself God. And friends, we do this. We do this. Every time you say something like this, well, I don't think that God would, dot, 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 dot. Or, I know the Bible says, but, dot, 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 dot. What are you doing there? You're putting yourself in God's seat. They're saying, I, I know better than God. I'll call the shots. He's not quite up to date on current events. 
He doesn't really get what's going on here. So I know a little bit more. I'll decide this for him. Plus, it's going to be better PR for him anyways. I'll do that. I'll take it over. And friends, this always leads to disaster. Always. And I just say, corporately, you look at, at church bodies that reject the authority of Scripture, they're dying like that. Super fast. Don't fail to recognize the authority of Scripture. Don't fail to see the weight of grace. And finally, don't fail to place your identity in Christ. Look with me at verse 16. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Okay, so in verse 16 here, Jude takes a, a different approach with the false teachers. He doesn't point out a specific false teaching, but he points out the fruits of their false teaching. He says, you follow these guys, this is what happens. Grumbling, malcontent, fulfilling sinful desires, boasting, showing favoritism at the expense of other people. And what do all these character traits have in common? They're the fruits of misplaced identity. They're the fruits of misplaced identity. Here's what I mean. Uh, my favorite philosopher, the, the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, uh, he wrote a book called The Sickness Unto Death. And, and in that book, he, he's trying to explore a really good definition of sin. I don't have time to get into the details of it. But the definition he comes up with, I think, is actually very helpful. He says, sin is when you base your identity in anything else but God. He says, sin is when you base your identity in anything else but God. When, when you place who you are and what you hope in and what you're aiming towards and what your life trajectory uh, is, is on anything else but God, the result is verse 16. It's grumbling. It's malcontent. It's boasting. It's using others for your own gain. You may say, Gabe, like, really? Really place my identity in anything else but that really leads to this. How does that work? I'll explain. Uh, this past Tuesday, I had my, my first day as an uh, adjunct professor at Concordia University, uh, Texas. People ask what I teach, um, economics. So, um, no, <laughs> I teach ethics. And, um, and so I'm teaching ethics for, for the accelerated degree program there, which is uh, a program at the North Lamar campus for, for adults that, that are looking to get their degree done while they're working adults. And so most of them are, in fact, older than me, and I have them one night a week from, from 6 to 10. So... Four hours of ethics, right? They're excited after a full day's work to be there. And, uh, and so, like, bearing in mind, knowing, like, that's the class I'm going into, that's the class I'm teaching, and knowing that they're going to be older than me, and I look like I'm 14 anyways, like, what are we going to do? And so I just, like, going in, and I just wanted to crush it my first night, right? Like, I just wanted to knock it out of the park. I just wanted to do a really, really good job. And that's kind of my philosophy when, whenever I preach or teach or, or present anywhere, the philosophy I have is, is over-prepare so you over-deliver, right? Over-prepare so you over-deliver. And so I love to work really, really hard beforehand so that when the time comes for, for me up front, I can just knock it out of the park. That's, that's my philosophy. That's how I work. But man, like my last two weeks were just crazy, just crazy. And so I just didn't have as much time to prepare as well as I wanted to. And I mean, I, I did the, the reading and I wrote my notes and, and I got ready, but I just was nowhere near as ready as I would have liked. And so, so I go into class and I did okay. Like I got the information across. I think they liked me. It was relatively engaging. Hopefully they learned a few things. All right, we're fine. But it just, I just like didn't wow anyone, you know? And so I left that night and, and I got in my car and I'm driving back and, and I, start, I start grumbling. And I'm just like in my head, 
I'm just, I shifted between blaming others and, and sort of self-loathing. And I was like, well, you know, if this person would have stepped up here, I would have had more time to do this, but they didn't. So I'm doing this. And then I'd like switch to like self-deprecation and be like, Gabe, what are you doing? You're an idiot. You can't possibly teach a college course anyways. You don't even know what you're talking about. And like, I'm just like going back and forth in my head. And, and finally it was like, God tapped me on the shoulder and said, Gabe, why are you so upset about this? Why are you so upset about this? And it hit me. The reason I was so upset about this is because I want people to be impressed by me, right? I want them to just be blown away with me and think I'm really great. And so I placed my identity in my ability to perform. I placed my identity in other people's validation of that performance, of my perceived skill. Now you see how if I had actually placed my identity in Jesus, this wouldn't have been an issue at all. That if I place my identity in Jesus and realize that in him, I'm loved by the God of the universe. That him, I'm accepted and valued and loved no matter what. That nothing changes that. If I would have actually kept my identity there, it would have saved me from grumbling, malcontent, boasting. If I stayed in that identity, that God has already validated me in Jesus. You see, friends, if you place your identity in anything else but Jesus Christ, anything else, your job, your family, your hobby, your looks, your performance, whatever it is, and those are all good things, but you place your identity in them, the result is verse 16. Grumbling, malcontent, sinful desires, boasting, showing favoritism at the expense of others. So Jude calls out these false teachers for failing to see the weight of God's grace calls out these false teachers for failing to see the authority of scripture and he calls them out for failing to place their identities in Christ. And just when we're like, dude, okay, enough you know, body shots. We can't take it anymore. No more negative statements. He says this, verse 21. I'm sorry, verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. I see it's critical we see what Jude does here. As he spends the majority of the book, like I spent the majority of this message, just railing against these false teachers. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And then he says this, but you, beloved. So he says, don't do this. And then he roots this church back in their identity. He roots this church in their identity as those beloved by God, as those who've experienced his grace, as those who have the hope of eternal life with him. And so as we close, let me say this. Please don't let this message that you've heard is just don't, don't, don't. My prayer is, is that you've heard, don't negate the weight of the grace of God because it's real. And because it's here and it's for you. Because it really exists for you, so don't negate it, don't miss out on it. And, and don't fail to recognize the authority of the scriptures because in those words are truth. And in those words are life. Don't miss out on that. And don't fail to place your identity in Jesus because all other identities will fail you, but in him are hope and security and love and life forever. See, false teaching always seeks to pull you away from the life that is yours in the gospel. It always seeks to pull you away from that. Don't let that happen. Hang on to the truths of the gospel. And don't be swayed by that which would keep you from experience the living God. 
So as we close this message, um, Jude's doxology is, I think, one of the most beautiful pieces of scripture there is. And, and so I just want to read it over y'all. Um, it's also a camp song, but I won't sing it for you. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and maybe after this, what we do as a church is we head to the Lord's Supper after this. And so we take time to, to repent of, of any sins we have, anything uh, going on in our lives. And so maybe if you want to bow your heads as I speak this over you, and then you take time to, to lay before God what you need to as we head towards the Lord's Supper. Jude 24 through 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.